So Nathan, you remember that story you told me about the UMD 141 commuter bus? Yeah. Well, it led my colleagues and I on this weeks-long investigative podcast project, trying to find out if the rumor is true. Could you tell us uh, what you told me? There was no overflow bus, and these people are all desperate to get home because they have to do their homework and get sleep and all that. So they asked the bus driver, like, can we stand on the bus, which is the usual alternative. So this bus driver had the idea to put them in the storage compartment under the bus. There are no seats, and it's just like an open area. So let me get this straight. The bus driver let them sit in the luggage compartment where the backpacks and luggage and other bikes and stuff are held? Yep. The first voice you just heard was our colleague, Faraz. He's right here. Hey, Lydia. Hey. Back in September, Faraz told us a rumor about the commuter bus that he takes. The rumor going around implied that students were riding in the undercarriage of the bus. We couldn't believe it. How could that be true? Would a bus driver really allow people to do that? As students, we know the University of Maryland is riddled with transportation issues. Almost every day, we hear stories about buses running late or leaving students behind. So maybe this rumor isn't as far-fetched as we thought. My classmates and I wanted to look into the story, so I invited my friend Nathan to class. My classmate Kayla Nazaire asked him what happened. So according to you, this is not a rumor. This happened. This happened, yeah, 100%. After the bus ride, I, as I was walking to my car, I looked back and there were students crawling out. Our team spent the last three months talking to students, bus drivers, doctors, and the university to get to the bottom of this. That sounds kind of outlandish, actually. That's I wouldn't okay. believe it. We heard this rumor, which is why we decided to do our project on it. Never heard of that. No, because it's kind of dangerous, and also, like, there's room to stand anyways. Most drivers are very respectful and stick to following the rules of not letting students ride any other undercarriage. It's, it's pretty believable. People want to get home. We set out in search among nearly 30,000 students at the University of Maryland for someone who rode inside the charter bus's luggage compartment and to find out what circumstances made them so desperate that they would turn to such a dangerous solution. If true, what does that say about a university that collects thousands of dollars from its students but can't guarantee their safety? Could the transportation system be so flawed that it would stand as a hurdle between students and their education? My name is Lydia Hurley. I'm Faraz Ismail, and we're your hosts. This is Rumor 141. After what Nathan told us about students riding in the luggage compartment, we decided to see if other commuters had seen the same thing. So, we went over to Taz Hall, the drop-off site for the UMD 141 bus that travels between College Park and Gaithersburg. UMD's Department of Transportation Services, commonly referred to as DOTS, used to service the route directly with its own fleet of drivers. But after the pandemic, it began outsourcing the route to charter companies, and service reduced by 33%. For you listeners who aren't from Maryland, the city of Gaithersburg is about a 22-mile journey from UMD's campus in College Park. On a busy day, you can find students waiting for their bus in a long line that wraps around the side of the building. There were so many of us, if you weren't in like the, a certain number like in the line, then you weren't guaranteed a seat because normally those buses hold about like 50 or so of, of students. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just based on luck. Or- we found one such student who was unlucky enough to have been through that experience, Muhammad. I sat on like the floor, like the floor part of the bus in front of the stairs because the bus was full. Um, and like I've seen like, like literally like lines of students this long like get denied because there's no like there's no space on the bus, and there's no bus until like three hours later. So they either have to wait 
to get the next bus or if there's no other next bus, they just don't get to go home that day. It's been happening since last year. I've seen the buses don't have space. So, you know, it's, it's pretty believable. People want to get home. So there aren't enough seats on the bus or enough buses in general. If a student can't manage to grab a seat, where do they go? Do they really ride underneath? We set out to find someone who'd actually experienced that 22-mile ride stowed away in the bus's undercarriage. So would you, like, believe the rumor that kids were under the luggage carriage, considering you guys are, like, stuffed in the bus? Yeah, because I, I would probably sit down there, too. How long have you been riding it? Since sophomore year. Okay. Have you ever experienced the bus being overcrowded and kids not having a place to sit? Yeah, like, in the morning. Last year, they changed it from, like, the 8.25 to 9.30, and so everyone has to go on the 9.30 a.m. bus, and sometimes there's no seats, so people would, like, stand in the middle aisle for, like, the whole bus ride. We soon learned that we may have a harder time finding our undercarriage passenger than we thought. We had Nathan's story, but one claim doesn't prove that this happened. We needed to find tangible evidence. We talked to plenty of bus riders who believed the rumor, citing the uncomfortable conditions they had already experienced riding the bus. Some sat in the aisles because it was overcrowded or stood for their whole trip. Others told us they'd been left behind, in which case they had to wait hours for the next bus or figure out another way to get home, which wasn't always cheap. Getting an Uber like from campus all the way to Gettysburg, which is like minimum like $50. For commuters, life as a student is already hard enough, especially for those without vehicles. Unlike other students, they aren't able to spend their downtime in the comfort of their dorm. Instead, they stake out in the library and other campus buildings, waiting for their next class or their ride home. For many of these students, it's more difficult to connect with their peers or be involved in clubs, which mostly meet at night. Overall, the experience can be very alienating. Students and their families typically opt for commuting by bus to save on housing and transportation costs. That being said, our team hasn't been able to ignore the class implications behind who is most reliant on these buses. Jasmine Pham, a 141 bus rider, confirmed something we were already seeing ourselves on each trip we took to the bus line. I feel like there could be like a stronger community because it's like a lot of like people of color. I feel like we could get together. And, like... You heard that right. The riders were mostly students of color. After hearing what Jasmine said that night, I asked the team an important question. If it were over 50 white kids waiting for these buses, would the university have addressed this issue by now? It's unsettling to think that there might be institutional bias at play here, where the concerns of students of color are not given the same sense of urgency as their white counterparts. We wanted to allow the university to address these concerns, among our many others, so our classmate Chris Berlick contacted the university to ask the question that's been on our minds since the very beginning. Did students really resort to sitting in the luggage compartment of the bus because of the university's shortcomings in their transportation services? Throughout our investigation, we waited for a response. Our investigation was hitting roadblocks. When we sought clarity and answers from university representatives about the alleged incident, we hit dead ends. In a sea of over 30,000 students, our journey to uncover the truth began to feel like finding a needle in a haystack. That is, until we met Rhea. On the Friday bus, like, bus lot, it's often very busy, and it was around like 4 p.m., which is usually like the most busiest time. The line has stretched across like the Art Soch building, and by the time it got to my turn, there was no seats left. And then the bus driver asked if anyone wanted to sit in the compartment. And um, the four guys who were behind me, they were like, they participated, um, they like, um, they volunteered 
to sit in the compartment, but I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so they, and then he asked me if I wanted to do it also, but I declined. Well, what was going on in your head when they're like, hey, do you want to sit under the bus? Oh, I was very shocked that he was asking us that because I'm sure that's like not allowed. <laughs> and um, I was surprised that the people wanted to sit in the compartment also because there were bikes in there and there was luggages. And like, I could imagine that as the bus is moving, those things will roll around and it could be dangerous. This was a breakthrough. Now we had two people both saying this happened. And what's more, Rhea was explicitly invited to join these riders in the undercarriage. At this point, our focus shifted from trying to figure out if the rumor was true to narrowing down our search for the people who actually sat under the bus. Rhea told us that this happened on a Friday at 4 p.m. She said it was the last bus to Gaithersburg for the weekend. Bus riders told us that the Friday bus is typically more packed because on-campus residents visit home for the weekend in addition to the daily riders. Shortly after our conversation with Rhea, we found yet another witness to kids crawling into the luggage compartment of the UMD 141. He too had been offered a ride under the bus. um, The bus drivers decided to uh, start like walking through the, through the rows of people to uh, ask who would be willing to like sit in the kind of trunk area of the car, which is underneath like all the students where like usually luggage and stuff is put for these uh, Atlantic buses. And um, surprisingly, like eight to, I'd say like eight to 15 students um, decided to uh, actually go sit in the in the trunk of the car. Were you on the bus yourself or were you just passing by witnessing this happen? I was uh, very late in line. And um, when they asked, I was like, nah, there's no way I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. Cause it's just like, it's not worth it. So they asked you if you wanted to sit under the luggage compartment? Yeah, yeah, they did. And I didn't want to because it just sounded crazy to me. It was just probably just safety violations all over. Wow. Yeah, what's going on in your head when the bus driver's like, hey, do you want to sit under the luggage compartment? I'm, I'm thinking, like, what kind of school do we go to to where they allow this to happen? What did what did that bus driver uh, look like? Do you, do you remember? Do you recall at all? Um, it was a long time ago, so my memory's kind of hazy. But I recall he was a older gentleman, uh, African-American. And I think he had glasses with a blue shirt. George provided us with information regarding the appearance and identity of the bus driver that corroborated what Nathan had told us. As a former rider of the 141 bus myself, I think I might be able to recognize this bus driver if I saw him. Maybe we could talk to the bus driver himself. We realized pretty quickly the clues from George and Rhea could help us find our rider. It felt like we were getting one step closer to finally seeing the full picture. However, after talking to all three witnesses, something dawned on us. Nathan, Rhea, and George rode the bus on different days of the week based on their class schedules. Also, certain details about the time of day and number of students weren't adding up. Up to this point in our investigation, we treated the rumor as an isolated incident. But could this have happened on numerous occasions? I'd say like 8 to 15 students. Yeah, it was two guys. I guess like five people volunteered. There were students crawling out. After weeks of searching and dozens of interviews with riders, we still hadn't found the students who rode under the bus with the luggage. But we still wanted to get a sense of what the rumored riders might have experienced. So, one afternoon, our colleagues, Ian Dalrymple and Kayla, decided to go down to the bus to get a closer look. Kayla had a mic and recorder in hand, and Ian had a tape measure. They opened up one of the luggage compartments so Ian could climb in to measure the space inside. Oh, actually, let's get the pop here. Okay. 
Alright, so the what is this? The middle uh what do you want to call this? Um <laughs> we're calling this the undercarriage. Okay, so the middle section of the undercarriage, there are three uh sections and the middle section is uh 46 inches 46 inches wide uh i'm about to get inside um let's see try and get how do i do this <laughs> it's a little cramped yeah, it's it's kind of cramped. Um, honestly, there's enough room to sit though. Um, it's about four feet tall inside. Um, oh, the lights just turned on. There's lighting. Um, hey, hey, keep what are you doing? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't get into my bus like that. No, get out. Oh, we're just doing a story. Uh, 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 uh. We're just doing a story. You know. You just don't go on a bus like that and do that. Okay. Sorry about that. So yeah, Ian just got kicked out. But either way, we were able to conclude based on their measurements that each of the three luggage bays was about 46 inches wide and 4 feet tall inside. It seemed plausible that a bunch of students could comfortably fit in the undercarriage. To be fair, it was pretty spacious. Even so, we were confronted with the obvious. There were no seatbelts down there, let alone seats. We also experienced firsthand that not every driver was comfortable with the idea of students being in the undercarriage, as we just heard. Each shift had different drivers, each with their own policy on addressing overcrowding. As we dove deeper into the investigation, we struggled with the ethics of finding the bus driver. Should we throw them under the bus? No pun intended. After all, this was not a university employee, and the discovery could cost them their job. How far should we go to uncover the truth? Should we really confront the bus driver, potentially ruining their life? Or is there a more responsible way to handle this? Here's what George had to say. I don't blame the bus driver at all, actually. I'm not, that's not to say he shouldn't have gotten fired because he did violate uh, company policies. It's uh, the system's fault where like, this, this, it had to come down to that. Regardless of the driver's intentions, one thing was clear. This area was not meant for human cargo. No matter how desperate students were to get home, we knew riding down there had to be dangerous. But how dangerous? To get more insight into the risks, we spoke to Lisa Adams-Wolf, an associate professor of nursing at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. There's a lot of potential danger here. Wolf had three major concerns. First, the luggage compartment has no climate regulation. Students could face extremely hot or cold temperatures, which becomes even more precarious when confined into a small metal box. Second, there's a danger of carbon monoxide exposure from the bus's exhaust system. Um, but the third thing, and the thing I think that concerns me the most, is that there's no restraint, either for the people or for the luggage. And so if there's any kind of hard stop or collision, then really what you're worried about is people getting hit by luggage or each other. There's a potential for like being hit by a projectile or being a projectile. Wolf made it clear that theoretically, if the bus were to be involved in a collision, there was a high risk of students being hurt. But less than a month into our investigation, something happened that made us realize that the risks weren't so theoretical after all. 
And this afternoon, we are following developing news out of College Park, Maryland. An investigation is underway into an accident involving a shuttle bus used to transport students at the University of Maryland. And that's where 30 people now have been transported to the hospital. The bus crashed into a pole on Baltimore Avenue this morning. Early in the morning on Wednesday, October 4th, the 141 bus crashed on Baltimore Avenue, injuring 30 of the 56 passengers on the bus that day. The bus left the Gaithersburg parking ride at 9.50 a.m., set to arrive at Taws Hall by 10.45 a.m. Of course, that didn't happen. The bus nearly made it to Maryland's campus, but at around 10.20, it came to a screeching halt when the bus collided head-on with the pole. The scene of the crash was a grass median between Baltimore Avenue and the off-ramp to University Boulevard, according to NBC4 Washington. In their helicopter footage, you can see students sitting on the curb, awaiting medical attention. Prince George's County EMS and fire arrived on the scene at 10.20 a.m. We sought to find out what it was like for students on the bus when it crashed. I feel like the bus was going really fast. I mean, not, we weren't really paying attention because you go every single day. So I remember the bus going really fast, right? And then it, like, swerved, and then everyone, like, tilted right, and then it, like, hit the pole. So what I heard was that there were two cars, like, in the lane, so he, and there was a pedestrian, so he was trying to avoid that. What happened inside the bus, I think the people in the front were impacted really badly because I know a couple of my friends got like stitches. Um, everyone basically hit their head or their face. Um, Injury-wise, I think most people are okay now. It wasn't like anything deathly, but uh, it was like, for me, I got hit on like the side of my face. So I had a couple cuts and bruises. Um, some, yeah, a lot of people got hit on their head. So that was like a lot of bleeding. There was actually the scene was gruesome. Yasmin jumped in to help students who were bleeding, fainting, and trying to gather their belongings that had been hurled all around the bus. I remember this one dude, like, very vividly, he, like, looked around, and he, like, it's kind of vivid, but, like, blood coming out of his mouth, like, dripping down his shirt and everything. I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, my hands were shaking really bad. And I, I'd never made a crash before, so I was like, holy heck. Fortunately, we don't have any evidence that anybody was riding under the bus the day of the crash. But even some students who weren't on the bus at all are shaken up, like senior Bethel Binium. Um, so I don't know if anyone I know was on it, even though I know people who ride this bus. But I heard that it was um, pretty serious. At least 30 people were sent to the hospital. It's very stressful. Other students have started taking extra safety precautions to prevent future injury. I've been feeling safe. Just I need. I just feel the need to wear the seatbelt now because. The main consensus I heard about the crash is that if you're wearing a seatbelt, you're actually fine. So now I'm just doing that. While 30 students getting sent to the hospital is no joke, can you imagine the gravity of the situation had this crash happened when riders were sitting in the luggage compartment? I reached out to experts on road safety with that exact question. The National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB, has an entire subdivision dedicated to studying crashes. I ended up speaking to Sarah Selick, the public affairs specialist at the NTSB's Office of Highway Safety, which regularly investigates bus crashes. Sarah told me in an email that their subject matter experts, quote, do not speculate on specific safety issues or events with which we are not involved, unquote. So they wouldn't be able to comment on the instances we were investigating for our story. It was pretty much a dead end from there. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, they also declined to comment because this was for a class project. They suggested we reach out to their vehicle safety hotline or UMD's own police department for more information. When our team contacted the university police department, we couldn't even get a copy of the report from the crash. It seemed pretty clear that as student journalists, 
We weren't being taken seriously by authorities on the matter. Still, we were determined to get answers, and the students we interviewed wanted them too. Like, what kind of school do we go to to where they allow this to happen? Beyond the safety concerns, students' education was being affected by this issue. Instead of the bus schedule accommodating students, it was the other way around. Students were missing out on classes because the time the course was being offered didn't align with the bus schedule. Sometimes, if buses were overcrowded in the morning, riders told us they wouldn't go to school at all. Remember when we told you that Chris contacted DOTS at the beginning of our investigation? Well, weeks later, he finally got a response. He received an email on November 9th from DOTS saying, quote, These rumors are unsubstantiated. Unsubstantiated? At this point, we have five students on the record saying they saw several other students ride in the undercarriage of the bus. Still unsatisfied with the administration's lack of transparency, our classmate Sydney Jackson, along with Ian, went to confront DOTS officials at their office. Hello? Check. Check, check. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. That's good. We're doing our project on Unity Transportation. I just want to know if we could speak to David or Amanda. Just get a quick interview. We just need a source from Unity Transportation. Uh, so, you'd have to talk to my supervisor. She's not in right now. Mm -hmm. So, there's a way you can set an appointment with David. Okay. Uh, is he not here at all? I'm not sure. Are there any appointments today? Excuse me. Yeah. So, she's the person you want to contact about this. Okay. So, to set up a meeting like, for an interview? Administration, I guess. She's a marketing admin. I'm not sure about mar marketing, but administration, yeah. There's no one else here that we could just ask questions about student transportation? No. No? Okay. All right. Thank you. The attempt was unsuccessful. After Sydney and Ian sat in the lobby for half an hour, the student employee slid over a sticky note. That note had the email address of the media relations manager for DOTS, and the employee told them to schedule an appointment for an interview. Of course, we had already tried that and were shut down. In the pursuit of answers, we embarked on a quest to unravel the mysteries surrounding the 141 commuter bus. As we dove deeper into the investigation, we encountered more than just whispers of students riding in the luggage compartment. We found ourselves face-to-face -face with an institution reluctant to engage with our concerns. Despite weeks of reaching out to the university, our attempts were met with closed doors. So, we turned to the voices that were affected the most, the students. The university can dismiss it, but these students told us this happened. And not only has this happened, but it's indicative of a broader systemic issue, one that transcends a single incident on the bus. As students ourselves, we usually hear complaints about the excessive amount of construction and the lack of parking spaces. Meanwhile, a small group of commuter students is facing much larger problems. At the end of the day, it's the school's fault for like, taking away so many buses, treating the commuters like second-class citizens. While our investigation concluded without word from the university on the many questions we sought answers to, the thoughts and feelings of the commuter students who helped tell the story should not be ignored. At the end of the day, these students and their families put their trust in the university to provide them with a safe and reliable means of getting them to the education they pay so much for. The fact of the matter is, the University of Maryland simply can't guarantee this for their students. And while we weren't able to find a student who sat under the bus to prove the initial rumor we heard, we found a number of students who had been offered a ride and declined it due to safety concerns. But even more importantly, we found a very real issue with how the University of Maryland transportation system is failing one of its most marginalized communities. 
the 141 commuter students. That wraps it up for us. This has been Rumor 141. I'm your host, Faraz Ismail. And I'm Lydia Hurley. Thanks for listening. Ride safely, Maryland. Rumor 141 is a production of the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland College Park. Our hosts are me, Lydia Hurley, and Faraz Ismail. Chris Berlick and Ian Dalrymple co-produced the show, and our editor Kayla Nazaire gave us a huge assist with writing the script. Sydney Jackson was our reporter and helped us track down a lot of the students you heard. Special thanks to our professor and class advisor, Robert Little.